0: Jesus, your great love has rescued us sweet to our ears. God, give us ears to hear and and eyes to see what you're doing and what you desire to do in our lives. Holy Spirit, come and and continue that good work uh, in those of us who've been trying to stay in step with you and be led by you. Lord, for others who don't know this way that you're calling us to, God. Grab hold of our hearts. Stomp that rocket to remove those, those old ways, those old things we don't want anymore and replace them with softened hearts to hear a word from you. So God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be wholly acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I invite you to open your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. You can find that in your pew Bible. On page 975, page 975, as Pastor Andy mentioned, we are continuing our series where we only have two weeks left in our sermon series titled, Back to Basics. We're looking at the basics, the essentials of a Christian worldview and the Christian life. And today's message is titled, The Spirit Who Works in Us. And this passage has everything to do with that worldview and, and, and how we're to live it by the inworking of the Spirit. So let's listen now to God's Word. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26. Listen now to God's Word as Paul continues his, his letter. He's talking about freedom we have in Christ. And he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This passage is one of the clearest about the Christian worldview in general and the Christian life in particular. You cannot understand the way a biblical Christian views the world if you don't know this scripture. And you cannot understand the Christian life, let alone be empowered to live it if you don't apply this text. And so the message is very simple, three points. Number one, Um, What does this passage have to say about the Christian worldview? Secondly, what does it teach us about the Christian life? And finally, how do we apply it? How do we apply it? So, the Christian worldview in general is this. God created the world good and created human beings in his image to be conduits, if you will, of God's grace to creation and to one another, and to worship God. And God said, It is all very good in His sight. Human beings were made with the capacity for relationship with God, with His law written on their hearts, so that we had the ability to, to worship God in love and, and to obey Him by living holy lives, which would have resulted in helping other human beings in social relationships, and stewarding the creation. That all seems very far off, hard to see now, but that was the vision that God painted. Since the fall, our natural tendency is to abuse and exploit creation, to engage in relationships of self-preservation, and injustice toward our neighbors to war with one another and worst of all to rebel against and even to hate God to worship idols man-made religion of our own crafting to serve our own purposes and to satisfy ourselves now that's easy to see all around you just have to look at the front page of the Washington Post to see evidence of the fall Before you became a Christian, if you're sitting here and you are uh, believing in Jesus, before you became a Christian, you and I were in a fight. Even if we didn't know it, we were engaged in a battle that we were surely going to lose because we were picking a fight against God. We were fighting against God, the Bible says. We were running from Him. We were rebelling against Him. But in God's grace in Christ... Jesus came and and rescued you from your sin and deposited his spirit within you to restore you, to restore you, to restore the relationships around you, and even ultimately to restore all of creation. And the Apostle Paul is saying here in this text something about that restoration process. He's saying there is still a fight going on. But it's no longer a fight between you and God. He says, now, our Christian worldview is that there is a struggle, a fight between our old nature, the flesh and the works of the flesh, and our new nature, born of the Spirit. Paul is describing the Christian worldview as a struggle in which these two parts of who we all are are in opposition with one another. We're talking about a worldview, how we see the world around us as biblical Christians. So let's look at these two natures, the, the, the flesh and the spirit, that is the spirit of Christ in you. One is easy to see, the other seems far off, distant, hard to, to make out and Let me try to explain that in terms of being nearsighted or farsighted. Now, raise your hand if you are nearsighted. Raise your hand if you're nearsighted. Great. I'm nearsighted. More than 70 million Americans, about one in four, are nearsighted. And that means that my eyeballs are too long in relation to the curvature of my cornea. I got that from Google. So, if, if I'm wrong... Take it up with with Google, okay? My eyeballs are are not focused, and that causes light rays that are entering my eyes to focus in front of my retina, retina, and that makes the image blurry. You're with me so far? Many of us are are, are nearsighted. The term nearsighted means that you can see objects up close pretty well. I, I don't need reading glasses to see this text, but I can't see what Damien is doing in the back without my contacts. I can see him now, and now I'm focusing there. In the same way, the flesh, and and he's not talking about uh, flabby tummies. He's not talking about jiggle or anything like that. Uh, He's talking about uh, our old nature. The Apostle Paul says that old way is evident, verse 19. That means it's obvious. Most of us Far more than 25%, nearly all of us can see the works of the flesh. They're evident. They're obvious. They're all around us. They're in our lives still today. And yet Paul takes verses 19 to 21 to list out just a few of them. These are all expressions of of our old way of living for cardinal pleasures or for man-made religion. Trying to, trying to control and manipulate the world around us. Or just downright evil ways, messed up thinking, behaving badly. And Paul says this old sinful nature is easy to see, it's it's evident, it's close at hand, it's all around. And he says, this old way of living still impacts who you are, it impacts your body and your mind, your will, your emotions, and we can all too easily slip back into these old patterns of the world under the law. The new nature, born of the Spirit who's at work within us to govern us, is now renovating us from the inside out. And the Spirit is producing what? What, what is it called? What does the Spirit produce? Fruit. fruit. The Spirit produces fruit. Do you, do you have Fruit. Do you, can you see it? I, I, it it's, it's a difficult vision to see. Where's the fruit? It seems like a distant ideal. These, these words are listed out. And we say, yes, yes, uh, uh, on my best day, I can do a few of these things, Paul. But they seem really distant, hard to achieve. A young Christian can become very discouraged when reading through Scripture And it comes, coming across a passage that says that we are to have self-control. Who, me, self-control? I I love to go shopping, a young Christian might say. Uh, It says to to love as Christ loves. Uh, Who, me? I'm I'm, I'm a selfish person. I don't know that I can can do that. The scripture says to have purity in mind and body. Who, me? What? But the Bible says that all the potential for that fruit is now inside of you the moment christ invades your life and when you used to when you used to be preoccupied with gratifying the desires of the flesh as paul says that were never really satisfied were they were they ever satisfied could we ever ultimately get enough to please ourselves no Now, a new way of living and being and thinking is at work inside of us, and it's work, and it is a struggle. But for those of us who have experienced the difference, who have eyes to see the difference, friends, there is no comparison. There is no comparison to the old ways of living or the new ways that God calls us to There is no comparison between those things that we can see up close and personal and so tangible in our lives and in our culture than the reality of the good land that God is calling us to. There's no comparing impurity with love, strife with peace, anger and rivalries with kindness, Gratifying the flesh for a Christian is out of the question. Look at verse 17. He says, if you do that, it keeps you from doing the things the real you, the new you, wants to do. Now that's all a by way of saying a general, uh, maybe one aspect of our Christian worldview. That there was a struggle and now we're engaged in a new kind of struggle, a new kind of work. And that is entirely different than other worldviews. For one thing, non-Christians do not see that they are in a fight with God, rebelling against God. They think that that is kind of foolish, kind of sad that we would see the world in that way. First Corinthians two fourteen says, "The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God." What comes from the Spirit of God? Truth about what really is real. But to the man without the spirit, Paul writes, they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned, end quote. And we can look at many different worldviews that kind of speak to this. Just one example, a Taoist worldview says, uh, there are two natures to your side. There, There is a dark side and a light side, but keep them in balance, you're never going to overcome one or the other. Just keep them in balance of yin and yang in your life. That's very different than a Christian worldview. Secondly, and this goes to verse 18, where he says that, that we're being led by the Spirit, not under the law. There are many non Christian worldviews that scorn the works of the flesh and, and hold up as valued, noble ideals these characteristics of, of love and goodness and patience. But but in these other worldviews, they say these ideals are attained by human effort, not by grace, not by some empowering that comes from a foreign place, from outside of ourselves. That's the Christian worldview in a nutshell. Now let's look at the Christian life. What does this passage teach us about the Christian life? It teaches us that we as Christians are to walk by the Spirit, verse 16. Be led by the Spirit, verse 18, that we are to live by the Spirit, verse 25. The NIV translates it as keep in step with the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is producing a work in us, and we believe that the Spirit does incredible works in people's lives. He convicts us of our sin He draws us to Christ by faith. He regenerates us. He unites us to Christ. He gives us assurances. And and, and here we see the Holy Spirit works to conform us to Christ's character, to being who we truly are meant to be. And this Christ-like character, we've already named it, you know it, is called fruit. The Spirit directs the Christian steps leads us, empowers us, but we're not passive observers. We're not sitting out this fight between our old nature and our new nature. We are engaged. The Bible says in First Peter 2:2, 2, uh, 2, 2, "We are to grow up in our salvation. He says, "Grow up in your salvation." I'm watching Jonathan grow up into his body. It's my son, 10 years old. Uh, he's five feet tall. And he has man-sized feet. He's uh, like, have you ever seen a a, a Great Dane uh, puppy? He's not here, so I already told him I was going to say this. He's like that. He's a man-child. He's going to eventually grow into those feet. In the same way, that's how the Spirit works. Effective Christian living isn't a product of our effort but a divine work that has already begun. The signs are already there. We just need to grow up into it. We need to grow up into it. And knowing this is more than having biblical knowledge. It's to be lived. It's to be lived out in real life, in what's really real. And when you do, you will find that it is amazingly satisfying life. It's emotionally intense and listen, it's not normal. The way the Bible says we're to live is not normal, but it is optimal. It's the best way to be fully realized. What does it look like? I don't care to reread the works of the flesh, but let's look at the fruit of the Spirit. Let's look at what the Spirit is working into us and we are engaged in that work with the spirit like a trainer at the gym each day listen each day you have a choice you can choose the old patterns of this world or the new pattern god is setting in your life choose love and you've chosen the christ-like answer to people's malice no situation justifies hatred no injustice deserves a bitter heart. So this morning, I'm going to say, I choose love. God, help me. I'm going to choose to love you and to love people. Choose joy. And you've chosen the Christ-like answer to depressing circumstances. You say, God, you're, you're here with me, and you are bigger than these difficult circumstances I am facing. I refuse the temptation to be cynical and joyless. Choose peace, and you've made a great choice. By the power of the Spirit, you have chosen the Christ-like reaction to troubles and to threats and to anxieties. Say, I will live a forgiven life. I want to live by your peace. I want to be at peace with my neighbor. Choose patience. Say, Lord, you know how hurried I am in life. I'm always on the go. I've got emails to check. I've got places to be. But today, help me, Holy Spirit, to choose patience. That's a good choice. You've chosen the Christ-like reaction to a crazy world. You can start that today by the way you honor the Sabbath. Choose kindness. People can be mean, right? People can be nasty, but they have their own issues they're working through. Angry neighbors, irritating co-workers, people that are just downright rude. But you're not going to be rude. You are not going to be nasty. You are going to be kind with your words and your attitude because you know you are choosing what's right in Christ's likeness, the reaction to those who are unkind. You're going to choose goodness. Make that decision right now before you leave church, before other options come in. I'm going to choose to be good. The Christ-like reaction to bad people and bad behavior. Say, Lord, I know this dishonors you. I'm going to respect you. I'm going to be honest with, with my money. I'm going to be honest with the things that I say. I'm not going to curse or lie. I'm going to choose to be good. Be led by the Spirit to do nothing that you would not like God to see. To say nothing you would not want God to hear. To search nowhere online where you would not want God to look over your shoulder and say, what are we searching for? Say, no, I'm going to choose goodness. Choose this day that you and your family will be faithful. I'm going to choose faithfulness. Every day, say, I need you, Lord of truth. That's the Christ like reaction to the lies that we are being told and sold all the time. Lord, I'm going to choose to keep my promises. I'm going to keep my word. I want to be faithful, Lord. Choose gentleness. That's a Christ like reaction to fury. Nothing's won by force that honors Christ. That's not how he won. I choose to be gentle, to follow your example, Lord Jesus. Choose self-control. The Bible says flee from temptations, to reject sin. Lord, I want to live a self-controlled life. I want to be disciplined because I know this is the best life for me. I refuse to let sin get a foothold in my life again. That is the Christ-like reaction to every situation that eggs me on to lose my cool. How do we apply this to our lives? It's an everyday choice. You can choose right now. Am I going to choose the flesh and let my mind wander to the things of the world? Or am I going to choose this new life that you've started in me, God? How do we grow up in our salvation? Well, the, God has given the church what's called the means of grace. These are the things or, or the means through which God has given grace to to you through the Spirit to produce godly character. It's God's blessing to sustain and empower the Christian life. And it'll be a part of the message that Pastor Andy's gonna wrap up our series with next week. The message is titled The Life We Are Called to Live. The means of grace are things like things like fellowship with other believers, worship, obedience, celebrating the Lord's Supper. Things like Bible study. You know. Andy made a great point last week when he said, following the Holy Spirit's lead means following the Bible's teaching. It means prayer. J.C. Ryle says this, praying and sinning will never live together in the same heart. Prayer will consume sin or sin will choke prayer. These are the objective means of grace, Subjective means uh, include the renewal of our mind, the way we think, the way we listen to God, the way we examine our lives, the way we admonish and encourage one another. I think that's what Paul's getting at in verse 26 when he says, let's not let conceit or provoke one another. That's what he's getting at there. To say, Lord, there, there are these old patterns that are coming up again. I, I'm, I'm feeling selfish. I'm feeling impatient. I'm feeling angry. Where is this coming from? Help me to identify, work it out of my life. These are the ways that God builds up the church and grows us in godliness to make us look like Jesus so that these characteristics are produced in our life so that we can be a blessing to the people around us so that restoration work can continue. This is our worldview This is the life we're called to and this is how we apply it. Be thankful for the Spirit's work in you. Grateful for the Spirit's guidance and and the limits. Thank you God for setting limits on my life. Appreciate the Spirit is empowering and guiding you this day and every day. If you make that choice, let's pray. Lord God, if all this sounds uh, easy, it shouldn't because it's Sanctification is work, but it's a work that's empowered by your spirit. We're not spinning our wheels, we are moving forward. And so, Lord, your words echo in my mind, Galatians 2 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God, we may we meditate on the gospel and the precious truth of God, and walk by the Spirit in victory over temptation, knowing you who began a good work in us will see us to the very end. Amen.